Hello and welcome to Wi-Fi Optional, the weekly tech show where we talk tech so you don't have to. This is episode 28, uh, recorded Wednesday, July 13th, 2013, 2016. And time traveling again. Yeah, time traveling again, fresh from the... Uh, from the baseball field, uh, Mr. Jason Watercott here is, is with me, and uh, my name is Rukshan, and um, how was the game today? We have losing, but uh, it's always good to get out and it's, it's a spirit run around a little right. bit. Get some, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're a beer drinking team with a softball problem, so. Did you, uh, did you uh, um, find any Pokemon on the uh, on the fields? No, I actually, I actually, I actually thought of it when I was there to, to fire up my phone, but I didn't, so I, I held myself back. So, no, yeah, we're a little, we're a little delayed this week with uh, with storms and anniversaries and softball games. So, coming about uh, about what thirty six hours later than we normally do. Yeah, you bet. But uh, you know, better late than never. So, exactly. All right. Here we go. Uh, so our first story is uh, Tesla getting uh, autopilot blame for another crash. Um, coming from Gizmodo, another Tesla vehicle crashed while operating autopilot mode, according to the car's driver. Uh, the latest crash occurred on July after U.S. regulators announced they were going to investigate the first fatality in a wreck involving a car in self-driving mode. The latest crash involved the Tesla Model X this time, uh, the more spacious variant of the Model S, about 100 miles outside of Pittsburgh. According to the Detroit Free Press report, the driver said the police re- said in the police report that he activated the vehicle's autopilot feature before he hit the right side of a guardrail, crossed over both lanes, hit a concrete median, then flipped onto its roof. All passengers of the vehicle survived the crash this time. The driver is Albert Scaglione, which sounds like he's a mobster of some sort, uh, must have had complete confidence in his vehicle's ability to see the road ahead of him. He used the autopilot in an area known for being difficult to navigate, according to the Detroit Free Press reporter Greg Gardner. Anyone who has driven on the Pennsylvania Turnpike knows it is a narrow shoulders and concrete medians leave little margin for the driver's air. Um, again, you know, the last one, the last crash seemed to be, uh, well, we haven't heard the report on it yet, seemed to be uh, somebody who's kind of carefree watching Harry Potter and running into a semi. Now this one seems that, hey, let's pick, you know, the hardest road in in, in the area and, uh, throw autopilot on and see if we can't roll the damn thing over. So I don't know what people are thinking, but um, it's not uh, not boding well for the autopilot mode in the Teslas, but I guess we'll have to see what the report says in this one as well. I honestly think that uh, we're expecting way too much from autopilot. When with, with cruise control, you still have to have some form of, uh, you know, you have to have your hands on the wheel. You still have to steer uh, Cruise control only controls one portion of the the automatic driving, uh, whereas with uh, you know the complete autonomous driving, I think what these people are doing is they're like, oh, this is going to drive by itself. I'm not going to worry about it. I can do something else. Uh, but you know, no matter how complex these computers are, they they just can't match you know the reflexes and how well we can we can navigate uh, uh, you know a tough situation. So I I think right now and this we still have to wait till the reports come out. But for the most part, I, I I feel like we're just putting too much trust in these things. And there's enough warnings when you turn it on saying, hey, you still have to pay attention. You still have to have your hands on the wheel. But you know, just like anything, we're going ah, we don't need to do that. But you know, two now, so we'll see what happens. But 
The new Tor-powered backdoor malware um, is uh, targeting Mac. Security researchers have found a new backdoor program that allows attackers to hijack Mac systems and control them over the Tor network. Uh, the new malware being dubbed backdoor.mac.eleanor by researchers from antivirus vendor Bitdefender and is distributed as a file converter application through reputable websites that offer Mac software. The rogue application is called EasyDoc Converter. Once installed, it displays a fake interface where users can supposedly drag and drop files for conversion, uh, but which in reality doesn't do anything. In the background, the application executes a shell script that installs multiple malicious components. Uh, the malware has three components, web service, PHP application, uh, Tor hidden service that allows attackers to connect uh, to the affected system over the Tor network, which is actually anonymous, and an agent that uh, posts the Tor access URLs for infected systems to the Pastebin website, which is a secure uh, <laughs> uh, notepad-type application. Uh, PHP application served by the web service is actually a backdoor that allows attackers to view, edit, rename, delete, upload, download, archive, uh, pretty much take control of the entire system. Uh, good news is that the app is not digitally signed by an Apple-approved certificate, so users will see security warnings on the latest OS X version if they try to install it. On OS X El Capitan 10.11, users would actually need to perform a manual override in order to install the application. So it looks like there's there are some fail-safes. But what I find interesting in this article is back in the day, these hackers and these malware, uh, well, the hackers themselves, they had to find some kind of a vulnerability within the, uh, the, the code of the operating system to somehow get in. Now they're actually having the users do the dirty work for them. So that's actually kind of, kind of funny to me. It's like, oh, hey, here, download this uh, document that, um, you know, they're, they're basically going after the weakest link in the chain. Yeah, and that's and and anybody knows that you know I've I've had it where it's you know one o'clock in the morning I'm working on something and I need to convert a file and you kind of go through and download like eight applications just to find one that 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 would work for you and uh, right. so I've I've been in that place where I would just install something to see if it would work and and you know like you said it's just a it's a an easy way to for them to get into it but I, I like that last bit in there because I know that was a, a pain in the butt when they implemented I think it was Windows Seven or maybe Vista it was Vista it was Vista yeah. Yeah. That they implemented the, the security on on installing these, and people hated it. Hated it. you know it really it really does provide a, a service in this kind of situation where it doesn't allow unsigned software or things that might be malicious to to install itself without any kind of warning to the to the end user. So um, I, I, think, I guess you know, a warning of this kind, you know, it's like hey, you're 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 downloading something that's not signed. I think would make more sense, but I think on the Vista. Side, it's like, hey, you plugged in a pair of headphones. Would you like to turn them on? Oh, looks like you're trying to plug a new mouse. Yes, I see the logic behind it, but I think they kind of went a tad bit overboard on it. Yeah, either either way, though, I think you know this. It's just like the holding hostage things we've seen with oh, right. um, with with other you know hacker attacks and things, and and I think this is just the the tip of the iceberg kind of thing where. More of the stuff using Tor to to basically anonymously connect to these to these computers. Oh, we may have lost uh, Jason. We may have lost him, but we'll hang we'll we'll hang tight. We'll try and get him back online. Um, the next story we're going to jump into: Faro Micro SD Samsung unveils first UFS memory cards. A new way of removable storage is coming. Samsung unveiled the industry's first universal flash storage cards or UFS cards. 
Uh, though they're the same size as the traditional micro SD card, UFS promises read speeds up to five times faster, up to 500, 530 megabytes per second, and write speeds twice as swift. Available in 32 gig, 64, 128, and 256 gig storage capacities, Samsung's UFS cards are aimed at high-resolution mobile shooting devices like DSLRs, 3D virtual reality cameras, action cameras, and drones. Samsung said its UFS cards can read a 5-gigabyte full HD movie in about 10 seconds compared to 50 seconds on a typical UHS-1 micro SD card with 95 megabytes of sequential reading speed. According to CNET, Samsung's UFS cards are not compatible with existing devices that use micro SD. Uh, pricing and launch details were not yet announced, uh, which is is really cool that they came up with this new format. But it's uh, kind of a drawback that these UFS cards, from from what they from what they look like, they might actually fit uh, physically in a micro SD slot, but. And then the uh, the fact that they're not backwards compatible is kind of a uh, kind of a drawback. Um, speaking of things that are actually improving, um, a report claims that Apple might actually kill the headphone jack on the next iPhone. Uh, rumors are mounting that Apple will actually get rid of the 3.5 liter headphone jack on the next iPhone, with the latest report coming from uh, Fast Company. Uh, this kind of, uh, this follows up multiple reports from Asian blogs stating that Apple would cut the audio port to make its flagship phone thinner. According to Fast Company, uh, Apple is planning on using the Lightning port for wired headphones, but it may not ship a pair of Lightning-enabled ear pods with the next-generation uh, iPhone. Instead, opting to sell a pair of noise-canceling Lightning headphones separately, Apple is reportedly working to add new noise-canceling features to the audio chipset with the Sirius Logic uh, chip that they have in there, uh, and that's their uh, the Sirius Logic is also their audio chip partner, uh, which will cut into background noise and also uh, they'll with the new Lightning um, headphones. This is actually really interesting because Apple is is known for innovating. They're the ones that got rid of the floppy drive. They're the ones that got rid of the uh, the, the 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 CD-ROM drive. They said, "Yep, no, we don't need it anymore," and uh, as much as we tend to hate it, they start the 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 trend, and a lot of the other companies will follow. So this might be uh, um, something that we may see that that might get prevalent, you know, with the uh, the newer devices, the newer phones, and and even the new laptops. Uh, you might be getting rid of the three point five meter headphone jack. Also, with some of these new devices with Bluetooth, you can actually pair. Uh, a set of Bluetooth headphones, um, you know, you're going to be completely uh, cordless, makes complete sense, you know, built it in, built in. And from a physical form factor, you know, you can make the device a lot thinner, a lot slimmer. Uh, next story, Skype for Business will live translate meetings into 40 languages. Uh, Microsoft is bringing the dream of Star Trek Universal Translator to business later this year with a much, uh, with the launch of a new beta feature that offers live captioning of Skype for Business, uh, that will, uh, uh broadcast in 40 languages using Microsoft's Bing Translator technology. Uh, speakers will be able to talk into one of a, a handful of supported native languages and the viewers will be able to view a computer generated tra- text translation of what's being said. Uh, Skype meeting broadcast is designed to allow a small number of speakers to broadcast a presentation to up to 10,000 viewers for webinars, company meetings, and other large uh, occasions. 
Right now, those viewers can only hear the presentation in whatever language the speaker is using, uh, but this translation feature will help uh, bridge the language barrier. Uh, this launch come. Uh, this launch brings a cool feature to Skype for Business that's based on technology previously used in the consumer version of Skype. It comes at a time when the company is pushing hard to get Skype for Business in use as at as many companies as possible. Microsoft faces stiff competition in the area uh, from both established players and upstarts like Slack and HipChat. Uh, this uh, actually might be really cool for for international business. That's the first thing I see. Uh, especially with uh, a lot of companies using Skype to communicate with, um, you know, their their uh, the warehouses and, and manufacturing companies like in China and 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 other places, and uh, so being able to actually use something like this to to somewhat break the the, the language barrier might be actually uh, pretty cool. Uh, looks like Jason's back with yeah, he's back, but. Uh, LT in it up. Yep, your hotspot in it, huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on with my my other connection, but uh, no, I, I uh, before the show I looked up an article I wanted to see because I remember when they officially announced the consumer version when they had the translate function as a beta, and it was back I believe it was back in December 2014 um, is when they originally rolled that out, and I thought it was such a cool thing, and then it kind of laid low and you never heard anything about it until now. And now, um, you know, kind of when they're going more to the business route, you know, buying LinkedIn and, and doing all these kind of things, it's, it's interesting to see them, like you said, develop a, a, a function where, you know, smaller businesses could do international business and, and have a translator without having to spend it, uh, spend oodles of money or, or, you know, have something, you know, fly, fly out to people and, and translate in person or something. So, um, really kind of a cool idea, but, uh, like I said, it's just interesting to see something that's you know almost two years old finally get used by uh, by Microsoft and Skype. I guess. Yeah, it's. I I wonder if they're getting to that point where now they're seeing more and more uh, companies coming in with similar products. So there's more competition in the in the playing field. So they're going, hey, we need to start you know throwing out whatever cards we have in our back pocket to to make us more attractive to anyone that wants to use a similar feature. Well, that's the thing. I think if you have everything, you know, that's kind of the, I'm not so sure I thought I was going to say, but the, the method where you, you know, the Apple method, you get them in the ecosystem and they have to stay there. You know, they don't go right. out and use some other random service or something like that. So yeah, definitely. Uh, it, I, I, I like the way that Microsoft is going now. It's different from where they were, were in the past of, you know, developing within and keeping everything internal. They're kind of more open and, and open to new ideas. So, should be interesting to see where they go from here. Um, last story is uh, an interesting one. Um, funny too. Yeah, it's actually pretty funny because it, it happens to smaller companies. You don't think it would happen with a security or a, a router company. But uh, what we're talking about is TP-Link uh, forgets to renew its domain, which isn't a big deal, but it's the one they use for the router configuration settings. Uh, so network equipment vendor TP-Link uh, uses either tplinklogin.net or tplinkextender.net for its router configuration. Although users can also access the router administration panel through the local IP address, normally 192.168.1.1 or something similar. Uh, the first domain offered by the company is usually used to configure TP-Link's routers, and the second is used for TP-Link Wi-Fi extenders. Here's the blunder. TP-Link has reportedly forgotten to renew both of these domains and used uh, that are used to configure the routers and access administrative panels of its devices. Both domains have now... Excuse me, both domains have now been re-registered using an anonymous registration service by an unknown entity and are being offered for sale online for a 
small amount of $2.5 million each. So $5 million for the whole bundle. Uh, the latest TV-Link oversight, which was first spotted by uh, CyberMoon CEO, uh, I think it's Amite Dan, uh, could lead his uh, users to potential problems. However, it seems that TP-Link is not at all interested in buying back these domains, as Dan claims that the hardware vendor is updating its manuals to remove the domain name references altogether. Fortunately, tplink. or tplink login.net and tplink login or tplink extender.net usually come printed on the back of the devices as well. So users accessing this domain on a device could end up to a domain under a third party's control. Uh, in this case, malicious actors could not get their hands on these domains. They could use them to distribute malware, serve phishing pages, instructing users to download new firmware, quote unquote, for the router, and request devices. Uh, or social media credentials from the users. Uh, so long story short, uh, you know, A, I, I, that's the first thing I saw is, you know, you get a man in the middle attack and somebody, you know, you think you're updating your router settings and here you're, you know, on some website in Uzbekistan. Screen some kind of a backdoor VPN. Yeah, and and two, two, is, uh, two is, you know, I love their method of, hey, let's just, like, try to erase it ever happened and, you know, rewrite manuals. I think that's just a, a, a absolutely well ignorant way to do it but uh interesting way because like they said in the article i'm pretty sure every bottom of every router has you know go to tplink login.net to uh to set up your router so i don't know how they're going to fix that well um this the the ceo of uh, of cybermoon actually had a had a fairly good idea he wanted he he actually recommended all the isps uh, this is it it's it, it's a gargantuan task to do, but they basically, he recommends all the ISPs to block um, traffic to those domains, which uh, in a roundabout way, yes, it does make sense. And, you know, that, that, that will to a certain degree prevent it. But there are so many little mom and pop ISPs out there that we don't know about. And, and in order to propagate that, un- unless they all uh, sync up to one global DNS database, it's just going to be... Uh, math. Could they could they reroute it just to 192.168.1.1 so that serves you up that IP and goes internally then too? I suppose they could do that. Yeah, you know, they could hard so, hard code it almost like right. a host host file. Just this is where it's actually supposed to go. But yeah, so I mean they they'd have to change the DNS record. But I mean it, you can certainly hit some of the the major you know DNS servers like Google or. You know some of the bigger ISPs, the Comcast, the 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 Xfinity, the, the Comcast, and the U.S. cables, and all that stuff. But and the charters of the world. But when you get into some of the smaller ones, you know, if they're going to piggyback on one of those bigger ISPs DNS servers, great. Uh, but if they, you know, want to run their own for traffic management or whatever, then you know that causes a problem. And this, you know, my last thought of is, you know, TP-Link, they're cheap, they make good stuff, but this is kind of what you get for going with a quote-unquote off-brand, I guess. You know, it's, you kind of get what you pay for kind of thing, and they're, you know, they don't have the manpower behind it probably that the the Netgears and the Belkins and things do to to stay on top of stuff. So this is kind of things that tend to happen. (laughs) Right. And this is one of those things where anybody that is uh, fairly tech savvy, you know, like UI or or anybody that's in the the networking sphere probably will not use, you know, I'd I'd rather go to the IP address and then actually ever do it. it. And, but you know, your, your regular home consumer that wants to set it up. Oh yeah. They'll probably use it. So that's where the, and that's, and they become great victims too. It's like, Oh, who do you want to get? Somebody that doesn't really know much about the, you know, how everything works. Right. Well, should we, uh, should we get to the big giant, uh, 
red, white, and black elephant in the room? Yeah, we might as well, yes. So uh, everybody probably knows that, uh, when was it actually released? Was it last Saturday? I think it was uh, Thursday. It was a Thursday, Thursday? Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we're talking about uh, Pokemon Go, um, and uh, if people don't know, I, I, you probably know better than I do what it is. I, I literally downloaded it, caught one thing in the tutorial, and, and I don't think I've really done much since then because I don't feel like walking around trying to find things. But um, basically, it's a it's a VR slash uh, outdoor slash game slash it's a very different kind of app um that we haven't seen in a while actually the company that uh the idea i can't remember what the actual game was before but the idea behind it was in a, a different game and now it's kind of been rebranded to uh, the pokemon world is where it got its uh its its traction i guess in this case but it's blowing up i believe they uh they have more active users on twitter right now they've taken is more traffic than actual porn right now or something like that you know some crazy yep. stat stat i've actually heard and so it's it's definitely huge but there's also some uh some interesting side effects that we've seen uh come even the, the short time that we've 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 had this uh wonderful game in our presence so um i'll let you kind of take it from there if you want to bring up any topics but that's uh well it's very interesting interesting story that's still unfolding well, it's it's popular is is to say the least. I mean, their servers were down for for days on end, and and they had a tough time. It would come up for and it would stay up for about a half hour, and it would go down for another three hours because there was just that much traffic. But, um, it, it, like you said, it's it's a very um uh, out of the box thinking format for this game. It's it they they took your traditional Pokemon game. Uh, they added augmented reality. They use your GPS, and then you basically have to walk around. Um, you can, you can. The way I see it, you can certainly thank them for uh, f- fitness. So we're going to find out in a couple of months that this was a big elaborate scam to get everybody to to work out, <laughs> and um, you know everybody's going to get their vitamin D. Um, but uh, I also feel like we're kind of on the the rising edge of of a peak. I I look at this kind of like how. Um, uh, some of the other massive games that uh, came in. Oh gosh, I'm I'm drawing a blank because I thought of that game that uh, uh, was just massive not too long ago on on um, Android and 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 iOS. Um, wasn't Bejeweled, but uh, um, Candy Crush. Candy Crush. Thank you very much. It, just like Candy Crush, when that came out, it did gangbusters. I mean, people are. Uh, downloading it, servers were going down, and then you know after a while you kind of drop off, and then it kind of plateaued. But um, I also see this as a massive business platform because I think one on one of our very first uh, Wi-Fi optional episodes we talked about uh, in-app purchases and how all these uh, companies are making money from in-app per- more money from in-app purchases than they actually are from from uh, the actual the the, the product itself. I can totally see these guys coming out and saying, "Oh, hey, guess what? You want to?" Oh, and they all—they already announced that uh, in one of the next uh, uh, versions that's going to come out, one of the next updates, you will be able to trade your Pokemon characters mm-hmm. that you catch. Um, so, what's to say that they're going to go? Sure, yeah, you can trade a penny a trade. You know, that's yeah, <laughs> real cheap, but that adds up real quick. You know, um, and also I can see businesses coming in and saying hey you know what you want to here's a million dollars why don't you put some of the rare pokemons in 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 walmart or target or or why don't you put some in our business so we can actually bring those people in or um you know you can market it and you can 
market in any which way. You buy $500 worth of stuff at this big box store, um, it'll automatically unlock a certain – whatever it is. Um, so I can see this being – what we're seeing right now as the first phase, and I, I can totally see this just getting ramped up and and just keep going up until you know they can milk it no more, so to speak. Yeah, and, and there's been a lot of bugs, and they've like you said, it's, we're in the very early stages of this. But I mean, at first, the apps were asking for full, full rights over your your, oh, yep, your Google absolutely. account, to, even down to like we use Google Drive for our our podcast. Well, the dang app could have apps access to our our show notes, even yep. that's not going to do anything with them. But you, know, you think you dig in it further like that, you know, some people are saying YouTubers, you know, if their YouTube account was tied to that Gmail account, they could have access to all their analytics and all their you know payment their AdSense payments and things like that. So, um, really, you know, they, they fixed that. They, I think that got updated today, I believe. Um, yeah, but then I think so. yep. you have other, you have other just social issues of, you know, there's stories of people walking into traffic and get hit by cars and, you know, falling into bushes and in the lake because they're, you know, staring at their screen. And if everybody doesn't know the app works is you hold the, you hold your phone up and, you know, through the, well, I wish I could do it right now, but through the app, through the camera, it, it's augmented reality where it shows what's through your camera and, it, and then it, it basically puts the uh, the Pokemon characters on in the real world. So you, realistically, you shouldn't be walking into things. But if you're so focused on you know tossing your little Pokeballs at the at the characters, you might end up you know walking into traffic or stepping in a manhole or doing something silly. So there's lots of social things they got to work out, and, and like you said, lots of lots of uh, monetary things. And I know one of the one of the issues they have right now is from what I've heard from um, just talk from people and other and other. Um, publications is the monitoring the, the, system, the way they monetize the system so far as you can pay to you know set traps you can pay to buy yes. more pokeballs do all this stuff and and when it's a fine line in apps like this where you have a free to uh, a, a, you know a free play part of it and then a pay part of it that you don't want to make the pay part of it really make people that much better than the free part of it um, and they've kind of done that in this case where instead of, you know, uh, having chances of getting better things, it's just if you, you can basically buy your way into having a high level character in the game. So they got to work through that. And I think, like you said, when it comes down to the trading and stuff, that's really, really start to uh, whittle down. And that's why they haven't released it yet, the trading portion, because they want to make sure they have that system right before they send it off to the public. So there's it's 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 a very new thing, but just the the explosion and, and what we've seen out of it so far is just been absolutely amazing i don't know if it's the perfect storm of vr and you know getting people out and about and the fact that it's pokemon or if it's just you know something new like this and you know it, it's very similar to geocaching geocaching was huge for you know a short period of time and now it's kind of fallen off and there's still a cult following with it but i just don't know if this is going to stick around or it's going to be like geocaching where it's huge for you know six months to a year and then all of a sudden people kind of go yeah i'm sick of it and move on to the next thing yeah, I I think you're 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 right on. It's uh with geocaching was was a perfect example, but I think one of the things with geocaching was you had to have this very specific device to go with um you know the actual the, the geocaching activity. You can't just walk up to something, you need some kind of a GPS. Whereas now they're actually using your cell phone where um you know everybody has one, so perfect pairing, perfect timing, perfect match. And the other thing I thought about is you kind of touched base on it and, and coming coming back to that with the whole data thing. Even even though they fixed this um, this loophole of being able to access your entire Google account, they still can capture a ton of information. 
you know, about your phone, your, your operating system, you know, your, your GPS location. So basically they can go, Oh, user one, two, three, four, five. Here's, here's their map. Here's, here's how, here's where you go. Um, so you can actually get a lot of very localized metadata. You, you can pinpoint to, uh, down to a, down to a user level. I thought that. Oh, good. I, th- I was saying, I thought, I thought, I thought of that too, but the only thing I thought about that is, yeah, but, but are, are most of these people playing it in their daily lives or are they going out of their way to, to chase down Pokemon? You know what I mean? Like, right. is that data they're capturing actually valid to finding what people's trends and, and processes I would, are? I, I would think if they have enough metadata, um, you know, not, not, two days worth of data, but you run it for 60 days. It's like, Oh, Hey, this person likes to be within this area. Because we had all the anomalies. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, I can totally see them taking that metadata, turning around, selling it, saying, Oh, this person likes to go to shopping malls looking for, Oh, okay. We need to start sending him stuff about, you know, such and such, or let's pop up ads, whatever. So I, I can totally see a huge marketing uh, uh, side to it coming out in you know the next phase. And then some, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, it, like you, you you hit it on the head, where we're at such an early stage, you just really don't know what's going to, what's going to come of all this, and it it should be interesting. And and I have a feeling that this is going to be the angry or well, not the Angry Birds, was it Flappy Bird? Um, yes. Story where you're going to see so many spinoffs of a Mario one of some sort, or you know something like that, where you're going to see spinoffs of this a similar game, but just a little bit of a twist on it. So, it might not be the first, it might not be the last, but uh, it should be an interesting ride. We should uh, should see in the next few uh, few weeks to months. So, yeah, it's it certainly is going to be interesting. But and I do like the fact that there there's this big out of the box thinking. Um, so now this kind of, they've, they've already opened up the gates. So now, you know, like you said, other developers are going to come in and come out with, you know, clones, other games that are going to be similar. So it'd be interesting to see 30 minutes on the, the money. Um, that's actually our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. Um, and let me get my, let me get our, uh, um, ending theme song here. Um, We are on Twitter. Um, our Twitter handle, oh, lost my train of thought. Twitter handle is, uh, Wi-Fi optional. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, info at Wi-Fi optional.com. If you have a question, comment, just want to say hi, join in on the show. Uh, you know, tune in on one of our live tapings. Uh, you can find us. Our, our audio version is available on iTunes. Uh, look for us. Uh, if you want to listen to us on your favorite, uh, podcatcher, rss.wifioptional.com is our, uh, uh, URL. Purple Planet, thank you to them for providing the music. Uh, purple-planet.com is their URL, um, so make sure to check them out. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Subscribe if you like the show. And for myself, Rakshan, and Jason, have a good night. Have a good week.